Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. There's always excitement in the air as classrooms all over the country get ready to welcome students back from summer break. There are new lessons to learn, new projects to discover, and new methods to engage students. At the same time, administrators might face funding challenges, and many teachers are concerned about new political realities that affect how they're able to teach. We'll take a look at some concerns and a lot of optimism about the coming school year. You can join us right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Oneida Nation in New York and the Rochester Museum and Science Center are holding a ceremony Wednesday to repatriate the remains of 19 tribal ancestors. The remains from the museum's collections are believed to have been interred during various periods between 200 and 3,000 years ago. The remains and funerary objects were removed from at least six burial sites in New York State. According to the museum, they were acquired through excavation donation, and purchased in the late 1920s and the late 70s. Wednesday's repatriation follows the return of 25 remains in 2000. Tribal leaders and museum officials are expected to take part in the repatriation ceremony. A five-year, $50 million grant project aims to reduce the carbon footprint of potato farming across the Pacific Northwest. As KLCC's Brian Bull reports, regional tribes are partners. Oregon State University is using the grant to explore practices to improve soil health and crop outcomes. Jeffrey Steiner of OSU's Global Hemp Innovation Center is the project leader. It may incorporate things like cover crops, less disturbance practices such as no-till or reduced tillage practices. It may mean nutrient management or nutrient monitoring. One of the project partners is the Nez Perce Tribe of Idaho. Shelby Layton, its business operations manager, says they're looking forward to learning more. We will see how we can implement these climate smart practices and make sure our agricultural practices prioritize soil health and increase crop production, kind of do things for the environment. Other tribal partners are the Yakima and Colville tribes. The USDA says Oregon, Washington, and Idaho grow 62% of the nation's potatoes, which have an annual value of $2.2 billion. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. The National Endowment for the Humanities announced Tuesday funding opportunities for federally recognized tribes for projects to expand the reach and impact of the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative. The initiative, launched by the Department of the Interior, is investigating U.S. Indian boarding schools and collecting testimony. The endowment is offering $30,000 grants for research, community engagement, tribal history collection, public programs, and educational projects on the impacts of Indian boarding school policies on tribal communities. NEH Chair Shelley Lowe says the boarding school system left deep and lasting scars, and NEH hopes through the grants, opportunities can be created for healing. Applications will be accepted on a rolling basis through December 1st. Nonprofits and state and local government organizations that work with tribal communities may be eligible for funding. 
The Ontario Native Women's Association held a virtual event this week to help raise awareness about human trafficking as the United Nations recognized World Day Against Trafficking in Persons. This year, the association is launching an affirmation deck for community members and survivors of human trafficking. Amy Short is the group's mental health and addictions anti-human trafficking liaison. Through years of supporting Indigenous women and communities in combating sexual exploitation, we have come to understand that one of the most effective preventative methods is to empower individuals through a strength-based approach that affirms their own sacredness. Short says the affirmation deck is one tool that can be used in personal and communal practice to switch the narrative of Indigenous women as victims to survivors, knowledge keepers, healers, and leaders. The deck will feature daily affirmations, journal prompts, quotes, and activities for users. According to the Ontario Native Women's Association, Ontario remains a hub for human trafficking in Canada. And and Indigenous women and girls are disproportionately impacted and targeted. The association advocates, educates, and offers culturally grounded support to survivors. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A new school year is here and teachers are preparing lesson plans and educational events. But there are also some challenges ahead. Elected leaders are increasingly weighing in on how history and perspectives from non-white citizens should be taught. And for some schools and Native communities, the challenge is just keeping the doors open. We'll hear about one school in Alaska that was in danger of closing because the entire student enrollment, enrollment dropped to less than five students. We'll find out how they cleared that hurdle and managed to stay open. We'll also talk with educators and advocates about their optimism and concerns for the upcoming school year. Of course, we need you to join the conversation too. What excites you most about this back to school time of year? Parents, teachers, grandparents, students, call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's introduce our guests. Speaking in Tempe, Arizona is Patty Ferguson Bonney. She is the director of the Indian Legal Program and a clinical professor of law at the Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. She is a member of the Pornishaw Tribe. Patty, welcome back to NAC. Hi, thanks for having me. In Norman, Oklahoma, we have Matt Jackson on the line. He is an ethnic studies teacher for Norman Public Schools, and he is a citizen of the Seminole Tribe of Oklahoma. Hi, Matt. You are also a 2022 National Indian Education Association Teacher of the Year. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yes, I was very honored to receive that. 
Also in Norman, Oklahoma, is Lucianne Harjo. She is the Indian Education Coordinator for Norman Public Schools, and she is Danae. Lucianne, it's great to have you on the show as well. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. Patty, let's go ahead and start with you. I know your time is limited today, so I want to be mindful. Your tribe offers a French immersion school. Have classes started yet? Well, this will be the first year of Ecole Pointe-aux-Chiens, and classes begin on August 16th, and we are very excited about this new opportunity. Well, tell us more about it. A French immersion school sounds really exciting. What all has gone into getting you folks to this point to open up the doors and get school started? Yeah, so this is really a long time coming. We have been working to incorporate Indian French into the local school system for quite some time. We filed petitions under state law to include Indian French in the curriculum and to have immersion classes, and the local school board rejected or ignored those requests. They didn't follow the state law. And then at the end of 2021 school year, they decided to close the school um, without any warning. And so we then worked to try to get a charter school opened. And then we worked with the state to create a special school under state law, which is the first um, Indian French immersion school in the state of Louisiana or anywhere. And it's really a culturally reflective school that will reflect the culture and language of the local tribes. Now, I want to hear more about Indian French and, and get some more specifics about that language, but the school was closed in 2021. Why was that? Uh, basically, the, the school board has a plan to close schools, and our school was a small school. It was about 120 students, and it was 70% Native American. It was the highest percentage of any school with a Native population in the state of Louisiana. And um, we are a small bayou community. Uh, Terrebonne Parish has five fingers of the bayou, and each bayou had its own school. And I think for cost-saving measures, they decided to close the school without any input from the community. And the community was uh, very upset and outraged because we believe that our kids should be educated in our community. Um, so, unfortunately, in fall 2021, there was a huge hurricane, a Category 4 hurricane, which uh, caused a lot of destruction in our tribal community. Um, we only had 12 homes that remained, and so there was also an issue with the school that remained. Uh, the school had already been closed, but um, it received a lot of damage. And uh, the parents filed litigation after the closing of the school to basically say that this is a civil rights issue, that you closed this predominantly Native American school um, that was culturally reflective without looking at other places that you could close um, schools. You should have maintained it open, and that litigation is actually ongoing, but there's a proposed settlement as part of that litigation which would transfer that school property to the tribe, and the tribe would then work with the state school to have the school there. I mean, obviously there needs to be repairs, but the state legislature has allocated uh, money for those repairs. So in the interim, the tribe has been working to um, repair a building that will be the temporary location for the school for the next two years. Now, when that school was closed, Two years ago, about two and a half years ago, it sounds like, uh, and you mm -hmm. said the community was, was really took that hard. Where did those kids go? Where did they go to school? 
Yeah, so some of the kids uh, went to another school, um, Montague Elementary. Um, some parents took their kids out of school and have been homeschooling. We had one family who has a child with special needs and disabilities who they just moved because uh, the, the adjustment wasn't working for the child at this larger school, and there are some issues with ADA compliance. Um, actually, the Indian Legal Clinic at ASU filed a complaint with the Department of Education regarding those accessibility issues, and the parish is working to repair those, but we had a number of tribal children who were impacted by the lack of accessibility at this school. Um, so, yeah, so those kids have gone to other elementary schools in neighboring towns, and so we're very excited about having a school in our community, um, returning that and having it be reflective of the community in which we live. Really exciting news that this school's uh, going to be opening soon. Well, Patty, tell us more about the language of Indian French. What makes it unique? What makes it special? Yeah, so our tribe speak Indian French, which is a dialect of French that um, from when the French um, uh, explorers came over in the 17th and 18th century, they didn't really send um, a lot of people to populate the colony, but it was a trade language that was used with the tribal people. And uh, there, are very, there are a number of petite nations in Louisiana, and so some tribes um, maintain that language of French. But there's also uh, incorporation of indigenous words within this language, and each tribal community has a, a, a different dialect of this French. And the exciting thing for us is... Um, that we have maintained this Indian French language. Um, and we unfortunately have maintained it because of the policies that were in place in the state of Louisiana, which prevented our tribal members from attending high school until the late 1960s and early 70s. So as a result of that, we're one of the communities in Louisiana, I would say like the strongest community in Louisiana that's maintained any version of French um, where it's a working, a living and working language. People use this language daily. It's a threatened language because, you know, kids aren't really speaking it as much because school is all in English. Everything is in English. You know, TV is in English. So this is a way for us to maintain this language, and we're not really bringing it back. We're maintaining it so that it will uh, survive for future generations. And it's the language that our elders speak and uh, the community speaks, and I think it's a real unique opportunity for us um, to work to work on this with our sister tribes. Maintaining the language, that's important to stress that. And, and Patty, tell us a little bit more about how the, the immersion school works with Indian French. How are the classes structured? How is the curriculum developed, the teachers? It just sounds all so fascinating. Yeah, so this is our first year of the school, and so we're starting with K and one, and primarily because we're in the smaller uh, also facility, and then we'll be adding grades on. But um, our principal is an Indian French speaker. It's her first language. We have um, a board who's very committed to incorporating the local language and culture in the school. So we have a curriculum committee who is reviewing the curriculum. And uh, initially, we have one teacher from France, but we have other French teachers from Louisiana 
Um, and so we have assurances that they want to work with our local language and not say, you know, this language is wrong. Um, understanding, you know, the larger French language is important, but we also want to make sure that uh, there is a recognition that uh, just because a word is said differently, that it is not wrong. And how do we incorporate this into the school? We're going to be using some arts. We're going to be using songs. We're going to be including our local uh, French speakers, our native French speakers, who are going to provide that a supplement to the school to make sure that the kids who are attending the school are learning the local French, the Indian French, and the other local Frenches that are spoken so that they can maintain pride, heritage in their language, um, and recognize that it's not wrong just because it's different than, you know, France that's spoken in other countries. And Patty, how many students will be enrolled uh, this first school year? So the first school year, um, for this first year, we're only going to have two classes. So we're going to have kindergarten and first grade. And so we're trying to maintain the classes to be uh, around 20. Um, because we, we this is our first uh, foyer into this, but um, in Carbone Parish, where we're located, a lot of kids do not register for school until the first day. But we have a good group who have already registered, and we have a lot of interest um, where people are submitting right now. Even today, we've had people sign up for for these classes. So we're really excited about it. We're really excited about growing for the future, and we're really excited about starting in the right way and um, being reflective of the community in which these students will serve in the future. And Patty, we're really excited about your community and this new school and waiting until that last minute to enroll. That would have been me back in the day, just holding off one more day of summer. Patty Ferguson Bonnie, who is joining us from Tempe, Arizona, and uh, sharing some great insights. We'll be right back. A spike in reported fatalities for expecting Native mothers is raising red flags for researchers. Native Americans have among the highest rates of maternal mortality of any group in the most recent research. We'll hear about what's behind the numbers and what help is on the way to address the disparity. That's on the next Native America Calling. OCO. Give kids their best shot at a healthy school year. Make sure their vaccinations are up to date. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're hearing about the new school year and we're talking with Native educators and tribal officials about challenges both in and outside the classroom. Share your questions and comments. What are you looking forward to this school year? What concerns do you have about your students' education? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also continue today's conversation on our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. I'm going to welcome a new guest into our conversation now. Joining us from the village of Karluk in Alaska is Alicia Andrew. She is the tribal chief of Karluk Village. Alicia, welcome to our show. 
Hi, thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you as well, Alicia. And as I understand it, at one point, there were only two students in the school there at Carluck. Has it always been a challenge to maintain your enrollment numbers? It had not been up until about four years ago when we had um, a big family move out of the community. A big family left, and that was the difference. So how many students are required in your part of the country to keep a school open? How many do you need? The requirement is 10 students. 10 students. So that's all it could take is just one student, perhaps with a lot of children, to move. And uh, it would drop you under that number to keep a, a school open. Is that right? Correct. And this, um, the school building has been a focal point of our community for many, many years. So that was very disheartening. The, the one good thing about that was that the school district allowed the community to use the school for homeschooling. So they continued to have um, a local teacher work with the kids. And then after COVID and after the, the expense for having the building open, we, it was brought to our attention by the Kodiak Island Borough that owns the building that they're going to dispose of the the building because of the expense and that was really frustrating scary saddening to the community so we thought we need to try to figure this out work with families try to get people to come to carlick so we can have the actual school open and not just use the building and there's some there's some issues with it with epa and dec that is holding them off from disposing of the building right now and we thought for this time frame our, our hope is to find these families and have them come to the community so we can just have them um, the requirement of them to have the school open and pay the expenses instead of putting that burden on the community we just feel like I mean there's not even a, a space in the community to have these two kids homeschooled feeling like this wouldn't work in their home it wouldn't work in another building it would just have to be the school building so this is why our plea went out there on social media which is something that we've never done that the tribe and the community doesn't have a social media page um, it wasn't something they ever wanted but after this need arose and putting it out there on Facebook it just exploded and it went viral I mean it went all around the world we got <laughs> inquiries from gosh so many different countries and it that part was just really overwhelming to our staff mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who would and, and trying to even put it you know have it local to alaska because of the time frame and knowing that at least in alaska the people know more of what to expect but that's starting to look at more of a challenge so knowing school year is coming up i mean we're kind of on a time crunch right now to see if we can make this happen Alicia, I saw that social media post and it, it sounded like a great opportunity. I'd said to my wife, hey, maybe we should move up there to Carlook, Alaska. This sounds like a really cool opportunity, but we don't have enough kids. I think you needed, I think you were looking for a family with like four kids, wasn't it? Yes, it's four. I mean, we need four and four, you know, or uh -huh. three and five. We need eight kids. So we got so many inquiries with, we're thinking, people, please read the post. I mean, yeah, you have two, some with three, and so many with two and three kids. Mm -hmm. And we just thought, well, if this would work, and then it started coming down to, gosh, we can use 
some labor, we can use a health aid. You know, they're looking for jobs. We have some job openings, but looking for people that are looking for that type of a skilled job. So trying to mix and match, but I I don't know that that's going to happen so much as we're going to get to just need the kids, Um, trying to work with them. It's just become more of a kind of, well, how are we going to make this work with this family? And then you pick a family, and then then there was an issue. Um, So it's just kind of going through that right now. Alicia, a few years ago, I visited a small school in Alaska, and I learned that schools in some of your communities – Like you mentioned earlier, they're more than just a place to educate students. They also serve as community hubs. And and when a school is at risk of closure like yours, communities, you'll really fight hard to keep those schools open. And what would have happened? What would have been the options for those students if you weren't able to recruit these new families to move to Carlock? Well, it's so hard to even talk about, but it sounds like they would have to move. Which could essentially just almost like shut the community down, right? Because that, I mean, how many families are in Carlick to begin with? Well, right now, let's see, there's 10. And when you think about the, the community building, what you're literally, I mean, you're pretty much shutting the community down by shutting the school down. Mm -hmm. And that that is such a central part of the community and has been for years that when people come from out of town, um, just everything happens in that building. Now, Alicia, this is great. You were able to get some, uh, was it one family or two families that moved to, to Carlock? How many have come now to, to keep the school open? Or oh, they're not, they're still going through the, still going the through. talking and discussing and trying to figure out who, there are some, I mean, there's so many that, um, it's like they put their name in there, but they're more looking for next year. And okay. we're like, no, this year. Well, they say, put us on the list for next year. Well, what our hope is, is to bring two families that really fit in and they like it there. And that that's another thing. I mean, a huge part of it is come, I mean, there's a family of nine. They were foster kids to come from Ketchikan. And that would have been in our mind perfect. But the problem is we have a three bedroom and a four bedroom house. So you, the one family would almost need the two houses, which would have been fine, but you don't want to split up the family. So the house isn't big enough. But just if people are willing to come and see, if you look online, there's not a lot of information. You can find some, but you just really can't picture it unless you go there. We don't want people to come and be unhappy because it's very isolated. You have right. to order everything over the phone on, you know, online. Um, so trying to be very specific, and we've done that over the past maybe three years, trying to get a health aid that we brought families there from not from Alaska, and they were not happy, and they found a way to leave, which was very disheartening for us, and we had to stop doing that. So we don't want this to happen with families coming in, and they just maybe want to maybe find their way to Alaska and then get out. We want them to come and there to be a commitment. Right, so right. You want those families. We're trying to be very careful. I understand because you don't want to be in this same situation two or three years down the line with with a family wanting to leave. But on the other side of that, it's it also sounds like it's really important that the families that are there, you need them to stay there too, right? Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And no, but I mean the few that are there do not want to leave. It would be devastating. These two kids, you would think they're 10 and 11 and that they, they need to be around their peers. And that's the number one priority for the whole community right now. 
is for them to have peers. Let's figure this out. And they do not want to leave. You know, you talk to them, wouldn't you like to be in a bigger school? Would you? Nope, they do not want to leave the community. And, you know, that's, that's wonderful to hear. But at the same time, they need to have peers. Well, what's the timeline then? So you're in the process of selecting these new families that'll come or one family. And then um, when do you hope to actually get the school back up and open? Oh, we would have preferred them to be there yesterday. So we're trying to, I mean, they're going to go through some more applications and trying to make some decisions. They're hoping by Monday. By Monday. All right. Um, can you share anything about the, the this new family that's coming in? I'm just kind of curious where they're coming from or well, who they are. We're not sure. We, we were hoping okay. the family with nine that would they would come and visit. They'd send one, the husband or the wife, and visit first. Come and see the community, and they're supposed to let us know because we thought that would be ideal. But we we don't knowing that we only have the biggest house is a four bedroom. That it, we don't know that that would be a fit for them. We want them to see. Um, like that would have been ideal. We would have the kids right there with one family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can understand some of these logistical concerns that you have. Alicia, I want to thank you for, for joining us here. We're going to take a call in a minute, but, but good luck here going forward to you and your fellow community members and Carluck. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you again for including us in your talk on the, on the radio today. Thank you. You bet. You bet, Alicia. Let's go to Chanupa, one of our callers who is listening now in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. What's your question or comment today? Hello, uh, Sean. Thank you for having me on. My comment and question is this. Um, the, you know, the, the elementary schools here on Pine Ridge do a really tremendous job of teaching our people, such as, you know, the school teachers, Randy Lazebad, Gary Lazebad, Mrs. Lima. Lima Martin and Susie Denise uh, Apple. These teachers would really participate in open, you know, forums of the people in general to get them to come in and do some, you know, skirting of the educational field of language because sometimes the language is not really taught from a curriculum's point of view. They're, they're taught morely at your home because like the lady was talking about, she stressed a part about how how education is really needed, but education from a language point of view comes from your home, your teepee, your hogan. Mm -hmm. That's how traditional elements are. And if you don't have participation in the community from rural um, participants of tribal members, the language will fade away. That's what happens, okay? But overall, if you have people like Chinupa and many others to contribute what the language can do to save it, you know, for future generations, songs is what's really the key. And this song briefly goes like this. So a child would pick that up and he goes home as So his little voice. Those little words in that song continue <laughs> to favor the language. So back to you guys, John. Thank you. All right, Chanupa, what a wonderful song. I really appreciate that call. And, and, and I think what you're saying here is, if I might paraphrase, summarize a little bit, is that 
in traditionally our, our languages weren't taught in classrooms. They were taught in, in homes and families in, in a more organic type of approach. And I, I do think a lot of these schools are probably incorporating some of those elements. Unfortunately, Patty has, has had to leave, uh, who was talking about the immersion school there with her community. But uh, really good call there from Chanupa and, and, and just stressing that importance of, of bringing in the whole community with some of these learning approaches, especially, especially with regard to language. We've got uh, two other guests on the line, Matt Jackson and Lucianne Harjo. They are both with the Norman Public Schools. And Matt, what has you most excited about the new school year? Oh, I think I'm just excited to kind of dive back in uh, to the course that I'm teaching. I'm uh, currently teaching a new course that we've just begun offering the last two years called Introduction to Ethnic Studies. And so with any new course, you know, you get the, get the time to kind of sit back and tweak and build it a little bit. Um, so it's a semester-long course, so we've done it a few times. And so just kind of excited to kind of expand upon some of the things we're doing, take some deeper dives into certain issues. And, of course, it's always exciting to get together with the new students, make new relationships and stuff like that. And so that's, those are kind of the two things that are on my radar that I'm looking forward to. Now, Matt, is it just me, or does school just keep starting earlier and earlier every year? Yeah, I mean, it does a little bit. Um, it does kind of seem that way. You know, and I know I've talked to educators from around the school. I think a lot of that kind of depends on where you are uh, and what that community needs. Um, but there is also kind of, you know, there is kind of a push more to get more seat time in for students because, uh, you know, the more time we have with them, the you know better education we can provide them. And we do know that sometimes there's a bit of a gap. You know, if you leave for a, a, a summer and are gone for two and a half, three months, you know, you kind of got to pick some of that stuff back up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely seems to be a, a push again to kind of get a little bit more time with the students, which again, I'm not opposed to. I think it's probably, again, if it's for the good of the students, I'm all for it. Now, at one point there was a push for year-round school for some students. I know that was a thing there in New Mexico for a while. Has that really taken hold or are more districts still kind of dialed into that traditional school schedule, getting out in the summer, starting back in the fall? I think that most people are still kind of dialed into that traditional. I know that uh, I taught for a little bit up in Oklahoma City as well, and they have kind of a hybrid system, which I do think you're seeing more of where people uh, maybe have kind of longer breaks, maybe spread throughout the school year. So maybe during the summertime, you're only out for a month and a half or two months. But then what happens is maybe like your spring breaks and your fall breaks get stretched to maybe one or two weeks. Um, and that kind of, you know, kind of provides uh, a couple of things like you get away from that large learning gap in the summertime. But you also what can happen maybe in those longer breaks that are intermittent throughout the year uh, with a couple weeks is a lot of times, um, you know, teachers are actually maybe offered the opportunity to stay on contract and they can do some. Uh, supplemental teaching, you know, for, and so this is kind of a time that you can maybe kind of focus in on some students that need some extra support. Um, and so maybe they, you know, those particular students don't get that two week break. Maybe they're off, you know, maybe they get like a week of supplemental uh, instruction and then they get off a week. So I think in the end, it kind of just kind of varies on what the community needs. I know here in Oklahoma, we definitely still have a lot of rural communities that really kind of value uh, having times off in the summer uh, so that they can do whatever works necessary. You know, there's plenty of school districts I know around the country that even, you know, offer things like, you know, breaks to go on, 
you know, when hunting season happens or something like that, because they know that's an important time for their community. So again, I, I think it's just kind of kind of determined by what the local community decides is best for their families. And now here we are, 2023. Uh, seems like most of the the rough times of the pandemic are behind us and uh have you pretty much gone back to to normal now with schools or are there still lingering concerns now with regard to the pandemic and some of those issues yeah i mean uh, so yes i would say in general uh everybody has kind of i think we've kind of come out of that situation and shifted over uh i think that you know one of the things that has stayed around is kind of a, you know, a big commitment to what is the online or virtual presence uh, that teachers can provide, you know, what can a student access online at home, you know, if they have to be gone, uh, whether that's for a sickness or something that's going to keep them out of school extended. Uh, I think most teachers, at least I know in our district, have gotten pretty comfortable uh, with, you know, getting their curriculum online, making it easily accessible. Um, But I think, you know, concerns uh, are also just you know, a lot of those younger students in particular, uh, it, it definitely provided a gap for some of them as far as uh, learning. You know, I know math and English has kind of hit. Uh, Matt, I'm sorry, community. we've got to take a short break, but uh, we'll continue when we come back. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to join this conversation about the new school year and what to look forward to and what challenges are on the horizon. Share your thoughts at 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. We've got Matt Jackson on the line. Matt, uh, there at Norman Public Schools, learning gaps post-pandemic. Please continue what you were talking about. Sure. Yeah. So I think uh, one of the things we're seeing is that, you know, some students were able to stay at home. Uh, You know, maybe they had some even parents present at home and just really uh, had some good supports uh, at their home to kind of keep them engaged in what was happening. Uh, And then we have other students that are coming from, uh, you know, homes that maybe had a lot more challenges or maybe didn't have kind of some built in supports at home. Uh, and so, you know, that's about a year and a half, uh, up to up to two years of critical development uh, for some of those students. And so we're kind of uh, in this position of trying to help those students kind of pick up some of the skills they may have lost. Uh, and then and then just to be frank, some of them, you know, uh, kind of at the high school uh, level, some discipline has kind of become a, a larger issue. You know, you've got students that were kind of uh, able to kind of get away from those routines and expectations and stuff like that, and kind of getting them back on track to what the expectations are at school. What you know, what do they need to do? What can they not do? Uh, those types of things. I think we're starting to turn the corner on that. Um, but yeah, those are definitely some two of the big challenges I would see coming out of the pandemic. Well, I want to bring Lucianne into our conversation now. She is the Indian Education Coordinator for the Norman Public Schools. She works with Matt Jackson and. Lucianne, talking about some of these learning gaps and other issues post-pandemic, 
We've also seen teacher shortages in, in many parts of the country since the pandemic. What are you folks doing there at NPS to, to retain your teachers? Good afternoon. Um, we have started a diversity and equity council many years ago, probably in 2014. And it was the hope that we uh, work together to address concerns that impact our schools and personnel. And so the, the council is composed of students, teachers, administrators, the University of Oklahoma, which is just here in Norman in our community as well, as well as community letter leaders and board of education members. We discuss concerns that we may see arise uh, in our schools. We hear from students and teachers district-wide. We have 25 schools here in Norman. Our, our program serves students in the juvenile centers. There are about 10 located here in Norman, Oklahoma, and they come, students come from all over the state. But uh, we probably serve kids in two to three of those juvenile centers as well. But the hope of the council is to review concerns uh, at all levels in our district and begin to work together to have uh, discussions and collaborative uh, meetings with all the stakeholders in, in the room. And teacher shortage, teacher retention has been uh, a priority for us and the recruitment of teachers, especially for our native kids, we want to see more native teachers, more uh, teachers of color in our schools. And so we began that work uh, several years ago and we continue to work with universities in the area like uh, University of Central Oklahoma, the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Universities, and trying to uh, recruit. Uh, we raised the salary for teachers in our district and we raised the salary for support staff in our schools. And so our hope is that we continue at Norman uh, to uh, have a great uh, certified staff and support staff to, to really teach our kids well and to provide excellent services to our kids. And so uh, in our Indian education program and staff are very much part of that process, always giving feedback. And um, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Lucien, I understand you have a, a large number of Native students there at NPS. In addition to recruiting Native teachers and other teachers of colors, of color, what other needs do, do your Native students have? Coming off the pandemic, I believe we are seeing some concerns, like as Matt expressed, about uh, helping those kids who are a little behind to get caught up helping to helping our schools to find tribal resources or community resources for counseling or mental wellness. Uh, we are also working with the Southern Plains Tribal Health Board to address concerns of drug and alcohol use in our community for kids ages 12 to 24 and working, working with them uh, trying to develop or continue to develop partnerships uh, in the community that we could utilize and uh, get their support, but as well as build relationships with our students and families, which is, which is pretty critical for the work that we do. Um, improving the communication with uh, our students, 
families and getting them involved, uh, providing the support that they might need, the advocacy within our schools so that they are accessible, successful while in, in our district. So um, I don't know if I see, if I touch everything about. Uh... Sure, sure. Sure. One thing I understand, I'm, I'm reading some notes here. It looks like you have over 2,000 Native students from, from more than 70 tribal nations. And I'm just thinking right off the bat, that's got to be a challenge with so many tribal nations, uh, obviously from outside of the state of Oklahoma, to address the needs, uh, even from a cultural standpoint, that many different types of Native kids that are, that are at your schools. Right. We have about 40 uh, tribal nations, uh, out-of-state nations, who um, we have their citizens in our district. And we we began this work uh, creating the Native Roots Program with the Southern Plains Tribal Health Board and other resources in the community to really infuse uh, more accurate uh, history and lesson plans in, in with our teachers. We created a website of uh, resources for our teachers. It's really focused on the 39 tribes of Oklahoma, but we also really help our teachers research and find resources that that they would like to teach about, and hoping that it will it makes their work easier and that they will take time to to infuse that in their instruction throughout the year. We also have uh, we're creating these family nights, these cultural nights, with cultural prevention messages and activities for our kids and families so that not only are we bringing them together to share a, a Cherokee Nation storyteller event, but we're also uh, infusing a cultural prevention or a, a drug and alcohol prevention message and providing resources on that same night. Um, and so it's, we have some events planned for the new year, and we're excited about it. We're hoping to improve what we have started uh, for our, our students and families in Norman. It certainly sounds like it's going to be a great school year there with the Norman Public Schools. And I want to go back to Matt now and, and build upon something that Lucianne mentioned earlier. And, and Matt, a lot of attention has been focused there in the state of Oklahoma with regard to added scrutiny uh, regarding what types of books are acceptable, how history and topics of race should be addressed. Is that on your radar this semester coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely on my radar. I mean, to be quite frank, that's kind of my wheelhouse. I'm kind of all up in that right now, teaching this Introduction to Ethnic Studies course, because what we do uh, is uh, we kind of start out and take kind of a sociological perspective of, you know, what are the concepts of race and ethnicity? How do they, what are they, how do they function as social constructs? How do they... How are they not uh, founded in biology? And then we kind of take, uh, after we kind of get through those deep waters, we kind of work our way through. It's a semester-long course, so we don't get a ton of time to go into each uh, group, but we kind of focus on the four uh, probably largest uh, minority communities we have in uh, Norman. So we start with Native American studies, look at that for about three or four weeks, move over into African American studies and getting in, into Latinx studies, and then eventually round out with Asian American Islander studies. So when we do that, I mean, I like to give, you know, I, my uh, background is as a history teacher uh, and also geography. So we do start out with a little bit of geography, and then I do feel, you know, that a, a good need to kind of keep these uh, kids informed on some 
history. So we do kind of, we definitely go down this path of not necessarily presenting an alternative take on history, but really kind of just more of the story that maybe they didn't get growing up. And so it definitely widens the view of the students. Um, and then that eventually kind of leads us into getting into current issues. And we look at other types of social and cultural uh, expressions, whether that's dance or music or art. We read essays, all types of stuff like that. And so, yeah, I mean, that is definitely something that I consider. Um, but uh, again, we, I feel like, and, and studies show uh, pretty strongly that any students that receive any type of uh, education that is specifically geared uh, towards their ethnic background, that's actually very helpful uh, to students. That really boosts scoring, that boosts their engagement with school worldwide. It gives them definitely ownership of their learning. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're definitely getting, uh, there's definitely a lot, a lot of noise out there uh, from some people who, for whatever reason, uh, seem to think that we're doing something that is not good for the students. But that definitely hasn't been my experience, and it's definitely not um, grounded in any type of scientific research or fact either. Well, that's my next question, Matt. I mean, are teachers feeling any pressure or maybe even feeling nudged to follow certain curricula that maybe leave out details around historical events like the Tulsa Race Massacre, for instance, or the Trail of Tears? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think there, there is definitely a, a lot of pressure. I don't know, um, you know, that uh, teachers necessarily are abandoning what they've al already been doing. I think they're maybe kind of looking over, making sure that they're, you know, sticking to the standards and doing it in, in appropriate ways. But yeah, I mean, we're definitely, these are definitely conversations they're having. I know that here in Oklahoma, uh, we have a secretary of education uh, who actually came to Norman uh, and uh, had kind of a local um, uh, I guess you would say a meeting, uh, open meeting with parents. And we're just really kind of pushing odd types of things like these ideas that, hey, let's talk about, you know, something like you mentioned, like the Tulsa race massacre. How can we have that conversation without uh, talking about race? Well, I mean, you can't. I mean, and so, yeah, there's definitely, that voice is definitely there. I think people are concerned. Um, but I think in the end, I think most teachers like myself feel like what we're doing is not only factual, uh, but also, you know, not doing any harm uh, to the students and in the end benefiting them. So I do think there's more um, attention uh, paid to it, making sure that you're, you know, doing it in the correct, appropriate way and maybe not, you know, laying blame on students or anything like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely on everyone's radar. Matt, how many years have you been teaching now? Uh, I've been teaching since 2003, so coming up on 20 years. 20 years. And what what's like what are some of the the most impactful lessons that you have learned from when you started teaching 20 years ago until today? Gosh, um you know, I I guess I would just say the importance of building strong relationships with students. Um, you know, I think as, as teachers, we would all like to believe that, you know, our, our, our we love our content, right? Where, wherever we've fallen, that's, that's the part that we think is really important. 
Um, but I think over time, uh, you start to learn that, you know, the, the student is going to, they're going to remember a little bit of content, but what they're really going to remember is the experience they had. How did they feel when they were in your classroom? How were they treated? Did you show them respect? Did you, you know, did you help them, you know, expand their, did you expand their mind or their learning or perception in any type of way? Um, so I think that that probably is just kind of an, an overriding uh, issue I think that has has come up for me um, to just kind of continue to think about you know the students. It's it's easy to get caught up I think in the drama kind of some of the things we're talking about the politics, the state legislature, the you know the, even the local you know community squabbles. But ultimately, uh, what you're doing is about you and the students in that classroom. And I think if you can keep your focus on that. Um, that's going to make you not only an effective teacher, but making it a, a good experience for the students that are in the class. And Lucianne, how about you? How long have you been an educator and what have you learned throughout your years of working with students? I have been in Norman uh, Public Schools for probably 22, 23 years in Indian education. But in this role as coordinator of Indian education, I, this is going to be my 19th year, school year. I think what I have learned over the years is to be uh, collaborative as much as possible. I think how we address concerns in helping our teachers teach about our, our tribes to our kids, to all Indian kids in, in the district, is to be part of the conversation, to be part of important initiatives. Uh, when the state uh, state of Oklahoma was redoing their social study standards. I was, it was really important for us as Indian educators to be part of that conversations, to get tribal leaders, uh, native educators, part of that uh, group that's writing, reading, uh, correcting the standards and making sure our voice is heard there. And that's really important for us in, in our district that we be part of the conversation at all levels. and do our best to provide the resources and support our kids and families. We're going to have to wrap up the show now. I, this has just been such a great conversation. I, I sure would like uh, and encourage listeners to continue the dialogue online. Go to our website, go to our Facebook page, check us out on Instagram. Let us know what you thought about today's conversation with Native educators and teachers or just uh, provide some comments as well. Let's keep this conversation going, even though we have to stop the show. And with that, let me thank our guest today, Patty ferguson Bonnie, Tribal Chief Alicia Andrews, Matt Jackson, and Lucianne Harjo for sharing knowledge and insights on the upcoming school year from Native Perspective. Join us on NAC again tomorrow as we look at alarming trends for pregnant Native mothers. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed, and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is, enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Waka, give kids their best shot at a healthy school year. Make sure their vaccinations are up to date. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information. Visit insurekidsnow.gov 
or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.